Welcome to Game Changers, the podcast for sales and sales leadership within the investment management industry. I'm your host, John Keevy, and I run a recruiting firm, Career Connections, focused on the industry. You can find and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. I would go towards jobs, I could define the outcome. And ideally, it was scalable, right? And so when I discovered wholesaling, internal wholesaling, I was like, this is amazing. It's ultimately scalable. One of my past guests, Wayne Ewan, introduced me to today's guest, Marlon Hall, who is a seasoned and successful wholesaler in the annuity space for the past 15 years. Wayne told me how Marlon had founded and was running an industry group called the Association for Wholesale and Diversity, and that they were having a positive impact among the community of African-American wholesalers. I was very intrigued as I know the industry overall continues to struggle with a lack of diversity. And after a few minutes on the phone with Marlone, I knew I had to have him on as a guest. Our conversation was a long and important one with two distinct halves, Marlone's unconventional personal story about getting into and finding success in wholesaling, and then founding and running the passion project of the Association for Wholesale and Diversity. Given the length, I decided to break the conversation into two separate episodes. So we'll start with Marlone's personal story. Good morning, Marlon. How are you? I appreciate your uh, your your time today. Thank you so much for being on the on the show. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, John. Marlon, so you and I have never met. Uh, I think this is our first time face to face, or not face to face, but virtually face to face. But we were introduced by Wayne Ewan. Uh, I know a personal friend of yours, a member of the Association for Wholesale and Diversity. He was on my show a few months ago, spoke very highly of you. I know you said some kind things when we when we posted his episode, but um, you know, I'm glad to have you here. I have to say, and I was chagrined to say this, I, I wasn't aware of the existence of the Association for Wholesale and Diversity until I met you. And obviously, I would love to learn more about that, learn more about your career. But first and foremost, as I always do with these shows, I'd like to dig into a little bit to your early your early life, what shaped you as a person, and what ultimately led you to get on the path you're you're on today. So I know that you're in Chicago now, Marlon. Are you a native of the area? Did you grow up in in the Midwest? Born and raised in Chicago. Gotcha. South side in the city, yeah. Gotcha. And early life, early influences, what what was your what was your life like growing up in uh, the South Side of Chicago? You know, my life was you know, similar to other folks growing up in in my neighborhood, mm-hmm. uh, it was a poor neighborhood, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of violence, a lot of drug use, okay. uh, gang activity, and you know, I was right there in the middle of all that. Um, was lucky enough to avoid uh, drugs, you know, usage or the trade thereof. But you know, I was, you know, in the middle of all the things that were going on in my community, uh, as is the case with most individuals. Um, the benefit that I had was a mother mm-hmm. who, you know, was engaged and really cared about me. Uh, I never met my father, uh, okay. but it, it didn't seem to be a thing when I was young. Obviously, in retrospect, that was impactful. But uh, my mother was uh, heavily involved and engaged with me, uh, kept me on the straight and narrow as it related to academics. Right. So I got in trouble pretty much constantly. Um, I was kicked out of elementary schools, multiple, kicked out of high schools, Mm -hmm. multiple, uh, for fighting and things of that nature. But my academics were always tip top because that's what she absolutely insisted upon. So, um, we were poor. And so that aspect of moving forward, my, my mom was a nurse, 
And, you know, we grind, just, she grinded, I grinded, you know, hustle, all that stuff, as you say. And it, it taught me to figure it out, you know, so hustling and grinding and, and, you know, moving forward despite obstacles, you know, different obstacles at different stages of life, but it all began there. Right. Um, and that has served me well. I also met my wife early, met her when I was 17 and uh, I had children early. Mm -hmm. And so all those things, you know, had an impact on me, uh, you know, before I was 20 years old, but the, it's had an impact on my life. Wow. Sounds like you had some great women in your life. Is your mom still with us? No, my mom passed when I was 19. Wow. That was pretty impactful as well. Sure. And uh, yeah, but I, I owe everything to her. And that's, that's, that's the deal. Wow. That's great. So you, you had a little bit of a rough and tumble early life. Um, sounds like though you were always, you know, head screwed on straight academically. Where did you end up in your advanced education? I, I, I noticed on LinkedIn, you, you, you ended up out West at the university of Wyoming. What, what led a kid from the South side of Chicago to go out west you know and, and i don't know if that's an unusual choice for for folks out in that way but um it would be for people here on the east coast so i was just curious what, what led you out there uh well the first step on my journey to the university of wyoming was uh juvenile detention and then cook county jail oh, okay because when i ended up you know incarcerated as a youth mm -hmm. in though in those respective institutions mm -hmm that was the final wake up call for me and my mom as well. Hmm. Like, Hey, you need to get away from here. Right. Because even though the academics were, were on point, just the nonstop, just the nonstop, but you know, just being around the violence and, and all that stuff, there was no good outcome that we could foresee. So my mom wanted me to get away from uh, Chicago. And so she passed uh, before I left, but my wife and I actually ended up moving out to Michigan where uh, I was not in higher education. I actually ended up in the trades as a carpenter, union carpenter. And I thought that would be my career because, you know, I'm, I'm a math guy sure. and there's a lot of math in, in the trades. Sure. And I actually enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. And I was doing well much more so than I'd ever been in Chicago, you know, run doing odd jobs and things of that nature. Right. But um, my wife ultimately wanted to move West. Uh, and again, my mom's wishes was that I got even further away than Michigan. So when, when the proposal came that we moved to Laramie, Wyoming, uh, as a result of having driven through there on road trips West, further West a couple of times, mm -hmm that's what we did. I came home from work and the house was sold and we, we got in the car and we went. That's great. That's a brave decision going to go into an area. And you had you ever been before you decided to move out there? Well, just, just again, just passing through, just passing through. Yeah. There was a hotel that we liked that we stayed at each time wow. we went through. Um, when we got out there, we didn't have a place to live. And so we stayed at a campground of America until I found a job and found an apartment. Be because again, my entire life, it's been figuring it out. You know, we would call it adapting. Right. People say, you know, they have superpowers. And I, I've observed that mine is simply adapting, which began early. Mm -hmm. 
And so found a job, found an apartment. And then I encountered a different style of racism. Mm. Um, you know, I grew up in Chicago. There's there's racism, sure. but it's different, you know, certainly in the place where you grew up. But out in Wyoming, it was it's just a different flavor. Mm. And so um, I ended up in college because a foreman and an assistant foreman uh, called me the N-word and told me to get in the hole to dig the footings for an elevator of a hospital that was being built. And, you know, I'm not afraid of work. Um, pretty strong fellow, you know, more so in my youth. Happy to dig a hole. You know, I understand you got to go through the ropes. I'm a, I'm, you know, a journeyman carpenter at this point, mm-hmm. but, you know, I went to go dig the hole. But the N-word part <laughs> and the clear disdain, yeah. uh, you know, while they had unskilled individuals doing finish work, you know, up in the surgical area, that was the catalyst for me to decide, you know, maybe I should go go to college. Mm. You know, I'd, I'd always intended to go to college and my mom's passing is what kind of threw me off track with that. Right. And right. I was depressed and it just wasn't going to happen at that stage. But that was a catalyst. Right. So as, as abhorrent as all of that is, mm. it was the catalyst for me going back to college and going back to college is why i'm sitting here talking to you today wow wow that's uh unbelievable like that negative experience led you down a path to kind of i guess address that in in some way i mean i'm grateful yeah i'm a grateful person and i'm grateful to that person obviously that was foolish but you know it it led to here Mm -hmm. right the outcome wow i focus on the outcome yeah wow um Okay, so you attend University of Wyoming. Did you did you study business or did you study something more specific to finance? Um, I started psychology because, okay. you know, the, the odd jobs that I did when I was younger were all direct sales. I mean, there was some, you know, manual labor stuff, but I sold Kirby vacuum cleaners. I, I made surveys. I did outbound calls for surveys and, and outbound sales. And, you know, I was never afraid to engage with people. And just, you know, really no fear, period, just as far as how I grew up and, and where I grew up. Right. It, fear didn't really serve you well. Right. So when but I understood even early on that there was a lot of psychology going on, you know, in these calls, you know, and I, and I was able to be successful because I would not just read the script. Right. I'd actually think about what's happening and, and try to puzzle it through. So psychology seemed like it made sense. Um. And then I decided, you know, I had kids at this point. I had, you know, a son and then my wife had a daughter when I met her. And so, and then my, my second son, my third child came along while I was in school. Business is how we pay our bills. So I shifted gears, um, but the psychology stay has stayed with me and I utilize it uh, in my practice now. Right. Um, but yeah, business is what I ultimately came out with a bachelor's degree an associate's degree and a bachelor's degree in business administration. The associates was at the local community college mm-hmm. because I could get two degrees for less than the price of one. Right. And, um, but yeah, it was business. Yeah. That was what I ultimately did. And while I was in college, I, you know, just like when I was younger, I had odd jobs really odd jobs. I mean, I owned a business. Mm-hmm. Um, I owned a bar at one point with a couple of business partners. Um, I did a lot of event planning, throwing parties, 
uh, and events at, at local area uh, venues. I wrote business plans for small business owners, <laughs> did security, uh, managed a call center. I mean, you know, wow. I, 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 you, you have kids and you're in a place like Laramie where the cost of living and, and the incomes are such that in order for me to take care of my family, you had to do what you had to do. All this while going to school full time. Sure. So, hustling. Um, hustling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hustling. It never ends. I, I am a big fan of the um, of young people. I don't know if you were to consider yourself young at that stage in your life, but doing door to door sales or call center type sales. I mean, it's rough and tumble and it's you get beat up a lot in that in that line of work, but I think it toughens you up and it makes you more ready for the higher level of sales down the road. I think it's, and you find it's, it's not done a lot. I mean, I, I, I do work with a lot of young people entering this industry and they've had a couple of casual internships, but nothing really, nothing that, that has really um, introduced them to sales in any significant way. So I, I think that's great. And it's a, a step that not many people take anymore. So I agree. Uh, but you've had a very full life and very interesting life, even to that to that point in your in your uh, career. Um, so, what Marlon introduced you to this industry, financial services in general, and maybe not investment management right out of the gate, but what introduced you to financial services? Yeah, you know, aside from you know my relationships with you know my bank, you know, which uh, intensified when I started my small business. I had no engagement with financial services. And so it was frankly at a college career fair, you know, as I was on the back end uh, at that point, I was, um, you know, at the bar that, you know, we owned and my wife was not interested in me doing that as a career postgraduate. So I actually went to the career fairs. Um, I was in student leadership as a student. I was in the uh, student senate at the university and an officer in the black student organization, which was called the association of black student leaders, uh, did marketing chief marketing officer for that group. It's a lot of promotion and things of that nature, but I was just heavily engaged, you know, by the time I was leaving college. And so as a result, you know, I took full advantage of all the resources that were available to me, the career counselor, the career fairs, you know, I went to all of them. Um, because, you know, I didn't want to have eight jobs, you know, once I came out of college, I wanted to find something that would give me enough income and interest, you know, to, to focus on that. And so banking was one of the options. Northwestern Mutual was one of the options, you know, Enterprise Rent-A-Car was one of the options. And so particularly in a, in a school like University of Wyoming, right, where you don't get the volume of opportunity, right, for, for, for the career fair. So anyway, um, I ended up working at a bank called First Interstate Bank. I met the, uh, the recruiter who was the head of HR at the time. His name was Richard Rodriguez. And he was sincere, or at least, you know, I, I felt as much and it was an interesting conversation because I actually did very well as a result of, you know, having all these things going on, not getting much sleep, but, um, mm. I did well. And so they were of course talking about coming in at the entry level and, you know, management training program. And, and they were trying to 
temper expectations. And this didn't bother me. I wanted to know about the scale. Like, what's next? What does this look like? You know, because I could visualize it. Um, and at this point, I'm a non-traditional student. I'm not a teenager. I'm right. an adult. And I want to know what's next. And so he was kind enough to share with me what what the options look like if you do well. Right. Um, but he, he spent a lot of time, you know, tempering expectations. Mm-hmm. But it didn't bother me at all. I... It, it sounded good. It made sense. And the the option was on the retail side of banking, right? So moving up through the ranks of banking, branch management, you know, market leader, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's what I signed up for. Um, but shortly after coming on board in, in, in the teller role initially, um, I met the gentleman who would become my mentor. His name was Dan M. Borg, my first professional mentor, Dan M. Borg a former Air Force intelligence, um, oddly enough, who was the program manager of the wealth management division. So trust and investments all ramped up to him throughout the entire organization. And he he saw something. He saw something in me. Um, I was tops in referrals, you know, for just about everything that could be referred because mm-hmm. I had no problem engaging with people. Right. And, there was no fear, no fear of rejection. You know, if I understood the value proposition, I could articulate it. And I also understood that it's a numbers game because, you know, I had gone, I'd actually done things door to door. You know, it's just, it's a numbers game. And so he saw that and encouraged me. I, you know, graduated to banker from the teller line, got my insurance licenses so I could offer credit life and credit disability. And so he introduced fixed annuities and then introduced the idea of coming over to wealth management directly. So I got my Series 7, you know, obviously passed it on the first try because, you know, the the, the academics aren't the issue, right? Taking a test is just the process. You read the material, you practice, you take it. So Series 7, Series 66, while serving as an assistant to advisors and then um, once having passed the test, tests, then becoming an advisor. Uh, and then ultimately, because I was still technically part of this management training program, shifted me into a role that was created for the purpose of this program, which was the sales and service center manager. It was effectively the assistant program manager, a role that hadn't existed before. But because wealth management was picking someone out of the management training program, they had to have a destination for them. Um, so that was, that's where I thought I was going to be. You know, I, I was going to be in the retail bank financial advising world. Um, I moved to Billings, Montana from Laramie, Wyoming in the course of, of getting that promotion. Staying with the bank while Staying you made the, the move. Okay. Yep. That was their corporate headquarters. And okay. So took the family up there and, you know, my, my, my oldest son's playing soccer and, you know, just living the life. You know, I bought my first home um, while at the bank, which, you know, for a person who grew up where I grew up, that was a big, a big deal. deal. <laughs> it was yeah. a big deal. It was town home, right? But it was ours and, and it was nuts. So anyway, all of that. But Dan was 
ultimately the victim of bank politics, I think, I mean, this is, you know, either here nor there, but he, he was asked to retire. Wow. And so we're both, you know, he's a pretty smart guy. He, he could see around corners. And so he said, look, you need to go wholesale. Mm. (laughs) He's like, when I leave, things are going to change here for you. And he was right. You know, there was a period of time early on where I was, I was, told, you know, I was the only black employee in the entire uh, organization. I spanned Mm -hmm. two states and Mm -hmm. later on three states, but, um, you know, there's not a lot of black people there, right? Like, so, um, but he said, for a number of reasons, not really anything to do with with my racial background, um, specifically, that things would change and I should really consider going to wholesale. Um, My wife was all for it. She was ready to leave Billings, Montana for a number of reasons. And so we ultimately moved to Denver, where I was offered a job at two at an asset manager and an annuity mm-hmm. carrier. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hadn't really met many wholesalers. They didn't come to Billings, Montana that frequently. <laughs> so um, this was all on faith, uh, all, right. all on the recommendation of the person who had already demonstrated that he was an exceptional mentor with great instincts. <laughs> and, um, and that, that was the beginning of my internal wholesaling career. And that's how I wow. got there. Great. If I could just, um, ask you another question, uh, Marlon about, about, uh, mentoring. So Dan, you had a great mentor. What do you, in your mind, what does it take to be a great mentee? And I know that you're a mentor now for many others, young people, looking to get into this business, but what does it take to be a good mentee? I mean, obviously it's a two-way street, right? And this person, you've got to give back. You've got to be the right counterpoint to the, to this mentor. In your mind, what what does that entail? Well, item one is a fit. I mean, think of it as you would with your, you know, interpersonal, you know, romantic relationships, you know, there has to be a fit. The person's personality and your personality uh, has to fit. And so if you're seeking mentorship, um, you know, you can meet people and, and interview them the same way you, you do out in a social setting. If you're looking for a a love interest, um, engage with people. And if you determine that, you know, this is someone that you, you vibe with, as the kids say now, um, (laughs) then, you know, imp- engage with them, you know, fully and professionally and, and seek to embark on that. If you're assigned sure. a mentor or in some side, some type of program, right. then, you know, lean into it, make right. the adjustments necessary. Be, don't, you know, if you're given a mentor, it's not like an arranged marriage, right? Like <laughs> you have choice, but if you're given a mentor and, and maybe they're not a good fit, you can always get something from them. You know, you can always learn from any mentor. And so the second thing, if whether you're choosing your own or, or being placed in, is to do the work. You know, any idea, and I'm, I'm sure this was said, I think Edison said it, any idea, the only value is in its use. And so if a mentor is giving you tools, tips, you know, thoughts, ideas, you know, projects, you have to do them in order to judge them. Right. And so I, again, item one is look for a good fit. If that's not applicable or if you find the right fit, then item two is do the work. Right. 
follow Absolutely. the directions, you know, listen, Show that you're coachable, apply, of course. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I would argue that the reason though is because then you, you get what they have to give. Right. And so you're right. I mean, if you demonstrate that you're coachable, then they're encouraged to coach you more. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can get more. Right. Uh, but what I've found is, you know, mentor mentees, whether they're of mine or ones that I have assigned, you know, and, and gotten the report or even just people that I, are peers of mine. And I observe them and they they speak you know, candidly of advice they've given. They didn't try it. And so if you do, if you don't do it, you can't judge it. And if you do do it and you fail, mm-hmm. then go back to the mentor, right? Don't <laughs> go complain to the ether. Go to them and say, this didn't work and, and get to the bottom of it, right? Hold them accountable because it is a two-way street. It is a two-way street. But that, it's, it's really that, you know, look for a good fit if you're in control of that. Do the work and then communicate or, or you know, follow up, right? Hold, hold them accountable, hold yourself accountable. Um, focus on the out. What is the outcome? What is the outcome that you seek as a mentee? Right. Focus on that mm-hmm. and, and execute yeah. on that. Um, those are, those are my tips for a mentee. It's a great, great advice. And, I, and it can't be understated the, um, the personal chemistry, right? And you can't control that. It, it is what it is. And, and if you're not vibing with somebody, as you say, seek somebody else. I mean, most people are working in a organization of size and there are other people out there. So absolutely. Yeah. If, yeah. if you can, right. If you, if you have the wherewithal to do that, and I think most programs would let you do that, right? Like sure. all the, most of the big companies, and I think just about any company now will have some type of mentor program. Right. right. But if right. it's, it's usually run by HR. So if you say sure. it's not working out, right. I think they'll fix it lickety split. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So getting back to your career. So 2008, I believe you're in Denver, you're starting out your career as an internal in the annuity space. How, how long are you on the desk? And, and what was that adjustment like coming from the wealth side as an advisor? Now you're pitching annuities to financial advisors, I suppose, and agents. Um, what was that like for you? Yeah. You know, I went into the the wholesaling space the same way I had gone into these other career changes in my life previously. Tabula rasa. You know, I didn't think, I didn't know anything. Yes, I had my licenses and all all that allowed me to do was, you know, speed through some of those basic training items. Right. And, Mm -hmm. uh, as far as, you know, basic finance, but wholesaling, wholesaling is a craft and that became clear immediately. And so, you know, individuals who have been an advisor at some point in the past, and then they like wholesale, well, you could, right. Mm -hmm. But it's a completely different business. It's, it's a craft. And so, um, I came in, you know, ready to learn and that, that served me well. Um, there were folks that in my class who, you know, had a lot of opinions about a lot of things and, you know, those folks aren't in the the business anymore, at least they're not at my firm. But, um, that was my process was to learn. I started in 08, as you Mm -hmm. said, I think it was February of 08 thereabouts. And then I was on the sales desk until uh, 2010. So a little over two years. It's about average. 
yeah, I would say, yeah. for most, most folks. And, you know, for me, I actually did because, I mean, I really didn't know anything about wholesaling. So when I became an internal wholesaler, I found that, you know, it was much like a small business, right? Granted, I was the mm-hmm. junior partner, but right. the way my external uh, worked with me, you know, this was our business and he made it clear and, and the company, you know, made it clear, you know, no one's looking over your shoulder. Like mm-hmm. no one has time for that. This is, this is an adult business, <laughs> right? Like right. if you aren't, if you're failing or if you're making, you know, mistakes or if you're, you know, cutting corners or anything like that, it'll all come out in the wash, right? Because the ultimate arbiter is the number. And so this was heaven to me, <laughs> you know, I love being a carpenter, right? Because I was in control of my outcome, right? I come to work early. I show up on time. I listen to, you know, whoever's talking, the architect or what have you, you know, I, have my acumen, I bring it to bear. I mean, all these things, you control that. Uh, even in the other, you know, random jobs, I, I would generally, I would go towards jobs that there was, I could define the outcome. And ideally it was scalable, right? And so when I discovered wholesaling, internal wholesaling, I was like, this is amazing. It's ultimately scalable. Uh, I didn't understand that, you know, the multiples are better when you're an external yet, right? But I wasn't particularly greedy because it was still so much better than my frame of reference, right? I We grew up eating government cheese. And so to do well, you know, low six figures, high high five figures as an internal, this was this was amazing. Because even working at the bank, even as a manager, right, it was, it, you don't make that much money. So as an internal wholesaler, I was making more money than I'd ever made. I was very happy. You know, I had a great external and our territory when I came to it was not the best. And, you know, that's another thing, right? I, you get to see where you're at. And so it's demonstrable improvement. I moved up the ladder. We moved up the ladder and direct impact, right? Like I, I could, my external could his divisional could point Marlone did this this was the outcome and this was just amazing to me so i to the point of all of that is to say i had no intention of going out into the field you know i had three kids mm-hmm. my wife was at you know doing they were all doing their thing mm-hmm. and i was happy um right what prompted me to ultimately seek to be an external which once i made the decision Mm-hmm. to be an external. That was March of 10. Okay. I was on the ground by July. And wow. so it was just a decision. Right. And the, the person that prompted that decision, someone I suspect you know, Kevin Elko. Okay. Um, I don't know Kevin, actually. You don't know Kevin? Okay, I no. apologize. He's, he's an know. industry speaker. Um, okay. Well-known in the wholesaling circuit. You know, he's a, someone that we would get to go speak to our advisors, okay. um, you know, motivational psychology background, which I didn't know anything of that about him at the time, but you know, he's a, he's a doctor uh, in psychology or PhD in psychology. But anyway, long story short, um, there was a competition to go speak to financial advisors in Breckenridge, Colorado. 
And the competition was amongst the wholesalers, the internal wholesalers, because the external who was slated to go couldn't go. So no one else was going to cover it from the outside. The desk was close to where the venue was at. So they held a competition. I won the competition. I went, I spoke, I did well by all accounts, but the speaker, the keynote speaker was this gentleman, Dr. Kevin Elko. He blew my mind. I said, A, I can do that. And B, the stuff that he was giving Right. It was it was to financial advisors. Right. But it's broad. Sure. It's encouraging. It's it's motivation. It's it's tools. Right. Not only could I do what he's doing, generally speaking, but I took those tools and said, yeah, not only could I do it, but I can use these tools. I can see the path from what he's saying, my execution on this to that outcome. And, and that's when I made up my mind. And so by after having made up my mind. Now, instead of focusing strictly on selling as an internal and helping my territory grow, which is my only focus, I was right. not doing the job to get a job, as they said. Sure. I was sure. doing the job to do the job. Well, I shifted gears to right. get a job. And yeah. you know, then I did. I got out in the field and um, I've been out in the field since July of 2010. That's great. I mean, uh, most folks that I talk to as internals, it seems like their major motivation is an obvious one. It's just a lot more money, right? Um, but I don't know if they, even though they are internals, do they fully realize what their what the job entails? Because there's a big difference between being an internal and an external, right? Um, such as that speaking engagement that you that you took on. That's a fairly common practice of an external, but not for an internal, right? And not everybody's cut out for that line of work probably that's not everybody can do what you did is get up on stage and present as well as you did so that's that's awesome um so you're so you go out in the field in 2010 do you have to relocate or were you did you remain in the denver area i had to relocate okay okay Um, this is a little different most folks when they relocate they take their families with them but Mm. uh, my family had a lot going on and so uh, I was sent to Pittsburgh to cover Western Pennsylvania, everything west of the Susquehanna River. So pretty big dirt. And uh, it was a territory kind of cobbled together from pieces of other territories. And so it was a starter territory, as they say. Um, and so when I, they said, hey, move your whole crew, I chose not to. My wife and I made a decision not to uproot our family and stir all that up and try to figure it out just because I was getting this great opportunity. And so they stayed in Denver and I set up shop out in Pittsburgh and, and I was comfortable with that because, you know, I've been just grinding my, I'm, I'm comfortable being solitary. Another mm-hmm. skill, you know, <laughs> of wholesaling that I, I think doesn't get touched on enough, but right. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, my family didn't go with me. And so um, I came home when I could, you know, those early years were kind of Spartan and sales were fine. They were picking up, but just the basis points were different when you're first getting out. And so all sorts of things like that. So I didn't see them very much. And then um, some things changed and they actually asked me to go wholesale in the same territory I had cut, the identical territory I had covered as an internal this is a rare opportunity, um, a territory where I had great relationships, you know, I mean, exceptional relationships. And uh, my external had left 
the one I had came up with. And so they said, hey, we want to bring you here. Now, this was a, a fully grown territory. I had helped grow it. And right. so that worked out really well. Um, you know, I got to cut my teeth and make those early mistakes right. out here. Um, mm -hmm. Learn a lot because I didn't know I was going to move. But so I had to, you know, make adjustments and, and get people on my side and even people that I'd made mistakes with. But but when I came out to, to my territory that I had covered, it was love. You know, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was awesome. those were you know and still are frankly that's where I'm at now still for the most part there have been some changes but that okay. had, that was um, that was very good that was very. What good. is your territory now, or what, what where did they move you to? So I left Pennsylvania and I took over the northwestern third. So if you take Ohio and slice it, northwestern third, so Toledo the main of Ohio and the northern half of Indiana. So Indianapolis and, and a little bit below that, but not Columbus or, or anything like that. So, um, but yeah, that was the territory that I had covered as an internal. So I came back to there. And then in 2020, we had some adjustments. I think, you know, everyone in the industry did. And so now right. uh, I cover the vast majority of Indiana, except for the very, very far south and uh, the Chicagoland area. And at some point, you move your family to Chicago? Or so they, um, no, <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> we did that for 15 years. Um, I, oh, wow. And of course, when I started, you know, making the money that was necessary to, to live the way I did, um, part of that living was going home on the weekend. So I had a home in the territory, you know, and place to be a place to sleep. But, um, I commuted on the weekends, Friday night, I fly home and Sunday night, I'd fly back to work and I worked the territory. And I was, I'll tell you, there's, there was an advantage to this that I didn't plan on. You, you, you love your family, but if they're a thousand miles away, what are you going to do? So two things happened throughout my, my, my career. When someone wants me somewhere, there's no excuses. Like, well, you know, got this, you got to get to my kid's game. Can't get to my kid's game. I'll be there, right? Driving hundreds of miles, you know, from Terre Haute to Cleveland, like, you know, these types of things. You can make, there's a lot of excuses that can be made. I had no excuses. If and and also, you know, leisure things. I didn't really do a lot of leisure things because I kind of felt guilty, right? Like, what am I doing? Going to movies, like golfing or whatever. What am I? Yeah, well, yeah. I'm here to work, right? If I'm right. going to go to a movie or golf, I'm going to go home right. and do it with my kids, right? Sure. The other effect was when I was home, I was home. In mm. fact, my 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 boys said to me couple of times independently you know dad we see you more now because when i was an internal i was at the office all the time i'd go in early i'd stay late sometimes i was there overnight because i was i was it it was a small business i could get our systems like the systems you know and every wholesaler will say the systems aren't where they're supposed to be the data's not right but i could control 
I could just go on a broker check, go on to Google, go on to LinkedIn, update systems, update information. And this is a thing that, you know, I once if I was in the zone, I'd mess around. And it was five in the morning. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> but my wife knew, you know, who I was and where I was. And so, you right. know, she didn't give me a lot of grief about it. But but seriously, um, that's what they said, because on the weekends now, given the circumstances, I would actually turn my phone off. Um, but even though I was an internal, you know, my advisors had my, my cell phone and would call me, you know, but it, it's because that's how it was. And so, yeah, no, they never, they never actually did. Both of my kids ended up graduating from school, from college, you know, from their Colorado home base. Um, we just, when my, when my youngest graduated is when we sold our primary home out in Colorado. You know, I, I had a conversation recently with a sales manager out in the, out in California. He's, he manages internals and externals, a smaller firm. But he was chatting about one of the internals that works for him. And he's like, this this young man wants to be an external, but he doesn't get it. He knocks off at five o'clock. He wants to go surfing. He's not doing the, the extras that you need to do as an external. Like he, he doesn't get it in terms of what it takes to be successful external and get promoted to the field. Um, and there are a lot of sacrifices that don't get talked about and family sacrifices. I mean, there's a lot of folks that I know that are internals that want to be externals, but they want to do it on their terms and their terms just don't work. You know? and <laughs> their terms are not the terms. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's funny. And, uh, you know, takes to, it, it, not everybody wakes up to the fact that there's a lot of sacrifice involved and it doesn't hurt your family. Agreed. Um, so that's great. It sounds like you, now I'm assuming you really love the career. You enjoy the career. Have you ever thought about management or has that always been like, you're happy with, you know, what you're doing as an individual contributor and as a wholesaler and you, you like the lifestyle and, you know, do you ever aspire to being a divisional national sales manager or anything like that? I have, and I do. Yeah. I, um, I, I went for that role at my firm. Um, Came close, I was told, very close. Okay. But the gentleman who got it um, is exceptional in the role. Uh, truly, he's my manager. So, um, so no, no, no hard feelings there. But yeah, yeah, that that is a thing. And then um, I actually had an opportunity to, mm -hmm. to to take that role at a different firm. Um, okay. The numbers did not up for me mm. at that okay. stage of the game, but it's it's still on the, on the horizon, uh, still something potentially in the cards, you know, and as it relates to the nonprofit, um, it, it's even more critical at this point because that's actually one of the things that we, we focus on. So, right. Okay. But yeah, in fact, you know, at my firm, they gave me a team lead role. So it's, it's a player coach role. So I, I do. So have, you're getting some management experience now, even if, even if it may be a little bit informal. It's informal. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I, I don't manage them. Right. And, and right. that's a very clear distinction, but uh, I am happy and privileged to uh, coach and lead, you know, in, in, in many respects. And uh, I, I've learned a lot simply in that process. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Game Changers. One of the things I value most about my job are the relationships and what I've learned from the candidates and clients I've worked with along the way. 
Marlone has quite a story. Most people I come across in this business have followed a much more conventional and easier path, quite frankly, often coming from a privileged background with things like a debt-free private university education taken for granted. By the time Marlone entered this business, he had already lived quite a life, including getting married, having children, and working in a number of different careers before choosing financial services. He also had to overcome and persevere through more adversity than most of us have had to deal with. I found his story very inspirational and I hope he did as well. If you've enjoyed this content, I'd love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share this episode with friends. If you have any feedback, ideas, or if you'd be interested in being a guest yourself, I'd love to hear from you. I can be reached on LinkedIn, or you can reach me via email at jkeevy at careerconnections.us. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon in our next episode of Game Changers.